0: A reading from Proverbs 1 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together as we stand. Almighty Father, uh, you have said in various places that um, if we need wisdom, that, that you're generous, you're not stingy that you give wisdom, in particular, in particular, you give wisdom. So will you please give us wisdom? Uh, Give us critical thinking. Give us um, the the ability to to discern and tell the difference between uh, truth and falsehood, between um, uh, uh, good and evil. But above all, and underneath it, will you grant us to see you and know you in a greater and a deeper way than we have thus far. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. And if you would, please turn back in your service sheets to page 11. We are starting a sermon series in the Old Testament book of uh, Proverbs. Um, When I was a kid, uh, uh, there was this guy I knew that kind of had a a knack for pithy little sayings. One of the things he used to say is this. He would say, Jim, I want to grow up before I grow old. uh, Which I thought was kind of helpful, and it kind of stuck with me. And um, ever since I was a kid, I've I've kind of thought about that phrase, I want to grow up before I grow old. And part of the reason it stayed with me is that it speaks to something that is um, both, I I think, pretty profound, but also relatively frightening. And, And here's what I mean. It is possible to live a long life, and never actually get good at it. Like, live a long life and never actually get good at living. I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and realize that I never actually developed the skill of living well. And, I mean, you know, it's a cliché, right? It's a cliché to say we only have one shot at this whole thing. But the reality is, isn't it, that we only have one shot at this thing. And today, we're beginning, as I said, a series in the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs, I think perhaps more than any other book in the Bible, one or two might give it a run for its money, but perhaps more than any other book in the Bible, it is focused on training us in quite simply that, how to live well, how to live life skillfully, how to be competent, and more than competent, in the art of living. So, the book of Proverbs, it's from the Old Testament, it was written eh, somewhere around 2,700 years ago, mostly, not exclusively, by uh, a guy called Solomon. And the purpose of Proverbs, as we're going to see today, is to show how uh, knowing God, and in particular, the phrase in verse 7 is how the fear of the Lord, we'll talk about that in a few minutes, how the fear of the Lord is meant to relate to every single aspect of our lives. Um, if, you're in, if you're used to kind of religious land, you'll, you'll, it'll be easy to think, well, God cares a lot about my moral life, or God cares a lot about the, uh, my eternal salvation. Both of things, those things are true, and Proverbs deals with both of those things, however, Proverbs will also say, "Not only does he care about those big areas of your life, but he cares about all the little areas of your life." Now, what we're going to do today, today is just kind of a general introduction to proverbs and to the series. But we're going to ask three questions of this little passage we had read. <clears throat> First of all, why are the proverbs so important to us? And for us? Why? Secondly, um, what's the heart? of the Proverbs? What is it the thing that really gives it life in the center of it? And then thirdly, how shall we make best use of them? Why are they important? What's the heart of it? How should we make best use of them? Alright, first of all, why are the Proverbs important to us? Uh, On page 11, look at verse 1. Solomon uh, starts off the whole thing by giving uh, the title and then the purpose, and the purpose explains why it's important for us. Verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, here it is, here are the purposes, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Now, for a minute, just focus in on that last phrase, uh, uh, discretion to the youth. <clears throat> it seems to me that one of the easiest ways to see um, why it is we need the Proverbs, why it is that we need to gain wisdom, is uh, to think about young people. Um, here's why. Everybody knows that young people need wisdom, right? And the only people that don't think they need young people need wisdom are young people which proves that they need it. Right? Now, why do young people need wisdom? And if if you're starting to get offended, I'm not talking about you, except I am. But why is it that that young people need need wisdom? The the most obvious reason is life is more complex than than they realize, and their experience, to this point, is inadequate to guide them through it, right? Now, if you're in college right now, you know that that's true of incoming freshmen, right? And if you're out of college, you know that that's true of everybody that's in college. And if you're a little bit further in your career, you know that that's that's true of every single person that's behind you, right? Now, everyone can look back on someone younger than they are and say, that group desperately needs wisdom. Oh my goodness. But you know what I'm going to say now, right? Because the bad news is that every one of us is in, one way or another, that same predicament. We all have the same problem, we all need wisdom, and it doesn't matter how old you are, you still need wisdom. In fact, if we honestly think, if I think that my experience in life is an adequate guide for my future, then either I have an overinflated view of myself or I have an underinflated view of the complexity of the world around me. Do you think that's true? Let me try to illustrate this. And I'm going to do this by pointing out three totally obvious contemporary dynamics that help us feel the inadequacy of our own experience to give us wisdom. Here's the first dynamic, super obvious. The exhausting pace of technological change, right? We all know this. Um, Technology is a wonderful gift, but it's also kind of troublesome, and one of the reasons it's troublesome is that we all know it changes so quickly. Right? And, and therefore, it changes so quickly that there are times where it, it, it seems like we never get good at using the, the, the new technology or whatever, or as soon as we get used to it, it changes or whatever it might be. Now, in a lot of societies, they don't have that particular uh, dynamic. So in a lot of societies, if a society doesn't change that much, then generally speaking, the older you get, the better you are at living within that society. But today, for a lot of us, it's almost the, res- the reverse. That the older you get, the more out of touch you get in one way or the other. So for instance, um, I used to be a Windows XP ninja. <laughs> and some of you don't even know what that is, <laughs> right? Don't wait. You'll be here too. Now. <clears throat> All I'm saying is that this is one way where we can kind of feel the dynamic that is true of all kinds of other areas of our lives, and that is that things change around us so much that therefore our experience is very often not an adequate guide to the world around us. That's the first one, the exhausting change of technology. But here's another one. Consider the increasing isolation of the individual. A lot of us experience this very viscerally. So today, we tend to move more often, right? We tend to live alone for longer. And therefore, very often, we have less community around us that gives us input and direction. Um, again, uh, in, in traditional societies, when people uh, stay in the same community for the entirety of their life, what happens is you can kind of have an aggregate of wisdom, the whole community has a, uh, develops an aggregated body of knowledge and wisdom, usually called tradition, that can inform the individual and kind of guide the individual. You can kind of ride that wave for a little while. But for us, very often, our experience is less informed, more isolated, and therefore often less reliable or at least more questionable. Isolated individual technology. But here's a third The world regularly works differently than we expect it's going to. If you think about it, every scientist knows that this is true. Every scientist uh, has a fundamental expectation that their theories or their hypothesis may actually not pan out, and that's why they do experiments. They expect that the world will end up being different than what they think it will be initially. And every parent knows that this is true, too, and that's why we lecture our children, you know, the world is more complicated than you think it is. And and the kid rolls the eyes and and things like that. But the thing is, as we get older, and see if this is true in, in you. I think it might be true in me. As we get older, there's a tendency or a temptation to imagine that our experience and understanding of the world actually matches the world as it is. But that does not always follow. Because the reality is, every one of us, our experience of life is infinitesimally small compared to the wide range of human experiences out there. What do I mean by that? That got confusing. There are what, like seven billion people in the world? Which means Jim Saladin has comprehensive knowledge of one seven billionth of human experience which, it's been a long time since I took statistics, I don't think that's a statistically uh, significant sampling, right? I mean, we have, we have just a tiny, every one of us has a tiny uh, uh, insight on the wide world of human experience. But nevertheless, as we grow, very often we imagine that our perceptions of the world actually fit the way the world actually is, and that doesn't always follow. And now I'm saying all this just to simply make an obvious point that is very often elusive to us. And that is, we need some source for wisdom from outside us that can guide us so that we can deal with the complexities of life and that can lead us beyond our very, very limited human experience. And more specifically, we need a kind of wisdom that will do at least two things. We need a wisdom that's going to... uh, uh, Train our thinking so that we can see the world and and understand it accurately. We need a a wisdom that can train our thinking, but also a wisdom that can train our doing, our actions, our practice. you got to have both the thinking and the practice. And if you don't, then friends, we should feel the danger of that. Because if we don't have a wisdom that's bigger than us, that's outside us, that can lead us beyond our experience, then very often we will end up uh, running, just kind of falling into line with whatever the most uh, loud voice is that we're hearing at the moment, whether that be our kind of cultural tribe, our party, our nation, whatever it might be, we'll listen to the loudest voice, and that is a stupid thing to do. So, we need training for our thinking, we need training for our acting. Well, now, that's what Proverbs is designed to do. Look at verse 2. Verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. Now, that's, Proverbs is promising to train our thinking so that we can have insight, so that we can look at the world and recognize what's actually going on. But then, verse 3 to receive instruction in wise dealing. Do you see the practice there? The acting? To receive instruction in wise dealing, in particular in righteousness, justice, and equity. That's the practical bit. And look at verse 3, at those words, righteousness. That means Proverbs is going to train us in uh, what it looks like to recognize uh, the right moral ordering of the world, the world the way it ought to be. But then also justice. Do you see that word justice? That means that Proverbs wants to train us in how that right order can be reestablished, reordered when it's fallen apart. Proverbs is designed to train our thinking and our acting in such a way that we can come to the world with all its complexities and its chaos, also its beauty, recognize all the components, and then begin to take action to put pieces back together. Doesn't that seem valuable? All right. That's why we need it. But then, I can imagine somebody saying, lovely, that's lovely. I'm sure I need a guide to live well, rah dee ra Um, But, come on, Proverbs was written, what, 2,700 years ago, surely it needs an update, right? Uh, What is it that makes Proverbs work, if it does? What is it that gives Proverbs enduring value? It's been read for 2,700 years. It's been read in a variety of different cultures. Every culture around the world reads Proverbs. What is the heart of Proverbs? What is it that gives it life? What's the secret sauce? Look at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Pause. That's it. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, says Proverbs. And that's the heart, and that's the core, and that's the secret sauce. What is it that comes to your mind when you think about the fear of the Lord? Well, Let me try to illustrate this, and then we'll come back to the text, okay? Um, So, it's a little embarrassing for me to admit this. When I was in high school, I was on the wrestling team. I'll just put that out there, okay? Um, There's no... uh, uh, All the photos, documentary evidence, have been hidden away in an undisclosed location, which is why I can sleep at night. Um, But on the wrestling team, uh, I had two coaches. Uh, There was the head coach, and then there was Coach Mathers. Now, the head coach... Uh, When the head coach led practice, it was a breeze. We all kind of rolled our eyes and went, oh, this is going to be easy, super easy. It was no big deal. However, when Coach Mathers, the assistant coach, uh, led practice, it was unmitigated hell. And and I say that advisedly. Um, It was horrible. So this guy, he had missed, I I think it was the 1988 Olympics, um, because he had the flu. And, uh, and, and he came with that intensity, and he worked us harder than anything, harder than we could imagine, and it was just utterly terrifying, and he terrified us. Still does. I'm still scared. <laughs> however, however, um, we also knew, just intuitively, every single one on the team knew that our head coach, he didn't care about us. We were a gig for him. No big deal. But on the other hand, we also knew that Coach Mathers would do anything for us. And we knew that he worked us so hard. I don't know why we knew this, but we just did. We knew that he worked us so hard because, actually, he really, really cared about us. And here's the funny thing. Our fear of him, which was visceral and still is, was not intention, did you catch that? It was not intention with our love for him. In fact, they reinforced each other. And over time, we developed kind of an affectionate reverence for Coach Mathers. And that caused um, two odd things to happen. First, the love and the fear that we had for him forge this deep allegiance for Coach Mathers. And then secondly, that affectionate reverence would motivate us to do strange things. We would work harder even than he asked. You know, he'd ask us to do laps or whatever, we'd do an extra one. We'd go go beyond it because we cared about him. We just loved him. And and then we would uh, do counterintuitive techniques just because he said we should try it. And we're like, well, if Coach Mathers says it, then it must be right. And everybody else must be wrong. And we go for it. And you know, the funny thing was that over time, our uh, our fear and love for him, this affectionate reverence for our coach, meant that we became better wrestlers. We, We were more dedicated, we were more skillful, and we were more wise. Affectionate reverence for this man drove us in wisdom. Now, that's a little bit about how the fear of the Lord works. It's an affectionate reverence. It's not a fear that is repulsive. You know, most, most often when you get frightened of something, you want to run away. That's a repulsive fear. It's normal. But this is like an attractive fear. It's a fear that is melded and joined to love so that it becomes an affectionate reverence for the Lord. And it is the perfect driver for wisdom. Let me point it out from the gospel reading. Did you catch the gospel reading? Um, This is the story of when uh, Peter first met Jesus. And um, what happens is Jesus is teaching uh, and uh, Peter is fishing, finishing up fishing. Uh, Jesus says, hey Peter, uh, let's go out and go fishing. And Peter looks at him and goes, oh Rabbi, you know a lot about Torah, but you don't know anything about fish. They're not biting today. And Jesus says, no, come on, let's go. And so Peter goes, "Mm, okay. So he goes out, and you remember what happens, right? They get this big, miraculous catch of fish. Now, what happens to Peter? What happens? Fear. He sees the big catch of fish, and he falls down before Jesus, and he says, get away from me. Now, why was he afraid? Well, Friends, when God stops being just an abstract idea and becomes actually a person with whom you have something to do, that's scary. And if you've never been frightened by God, then be confident you don't know him yet. But it doesn't stop there. You see, at first it's a repulsive fear. But then what happens is Jesus unveils his kindness to Peter and he says, don't be afraid, Peter. From now on, you're going to have a new job. And when Peter sees Jesus' power combined with his love, it motivates Peter to do something remarkable. He, He does something crazy. He does the wisest thing in the world. He gets up, he surrenders everything to Jesus, and he follows Jesus in every area of his life until, as tradition tells us, he was crucified upside down in Rome. That's the fear of the Lord. It's an affectionate reverence for the Lord that motivates uh, allegiance and action and then clarifies the mind so that you could recognize wisdom and you can recognize stupid. And of course what happens is the more we fear the Lord, love him and fear him at the same time, We're looking at the one who made the universe and therefore he can deal with the complexities of this world. And we're also looking at the one who knows all and became human and therefore he knows every experience that humanity can ever engage and therefore it makes sense as the path of wisdom has everything to do with this relationship with the Lord. So that's the heart of wisdom as we go through Proverbs. We're going to see it again and again. Lastly, how shall we relate to the Proverbs? Let me close with three things that we need to do. We need to listen, we need to cultivate a love of learning, and we need to keep our eyes focused upon the Lord. First of all, listen. Look at verse 5 in Proverbs, the Proverbs reading. Verse 5 says, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Now, let the wise hear, listen and increase in learning. Now, it's making a big claim. Do you want to be wise? Do you want to grow up before you grow old? Well, then give this book a listen. For real. Now, it's easy to come to church regularly and never really deeply listen to the scriptures and this is actually true uh, for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, maybe more so, is you think you already know it all. Or you think you've been part of a movement that, that really was big on the Bible and you're kind of disillusioned by that, perhaps. Listen, put all that aside, please. Come back and listen to this text anew. Read it. It'll challenge our thinking. That was what verse 2 is all about. It'll challenge our actions. Be excited about that. So listen to the text as we come to church together. Read it on your own during the week. Read it in home group. Uh, Steep yourself in this text, and it will increase your wisdom. Listen. Secondly, and very closely related, cultivate a love for learning. Look at the second half of verse 7. First half is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but then look at the second half. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, um, all through the proverbs, if you are someone who uh, who, if you're an eye roller, are you an eye roller? We're all eye rollers in different parts, you know. But if you roll the eyes when you hear wisdom and instruction, you're like, oh dear, you're a fool. Um, Sorry, but it's true of me too. That's how you know if you're a fool. You're a fool if you, if, you just, if you despise wisdom and instruction. And the, therefore, the obvious op- opposite is the key, cultivate a love for learning. Just like scientists do, right? Scientists love to learn, they love it even when their experiments disprove their own theories, at least in theory they do. The same is true of those who are wise. Get excited about getting corrected. This book will tell you that you are wrong sometimes, and it's going to be great. Be excited about that. Cultivate a taste for being corrected. Because when that happens, it means that you're growing in wisdom. All right, listen. Cultivate a love for learning. Lastly, keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. Uh, If Proverbs is right and uh, the key to wisdom is fearing the Lord, then we've got to keep our eyes focused on him, and that is the most important thing. If we don't, then all this will be just a little bit of advice. If you keep your eyes focused upon the Lord, and as you grow in relationship with the Lord, then it's, it's going to transform you. And remember, it's not just thinking about God as an abstract idea. You, you know, for m- me and Coach Mathers, it wasn't the general idea of coach in an abstract way that motivated me. It was a relationship with this particular coach. And the same is true of the fear of the Lord. The Lord is not just an idea, not just a set of principles. He's a person who knows you. He's a person who loves you. And he's a person who will definitely keep you accountable and will call you to account. And therefore, we will never be wise until we know him back. We will never be wise until we fear him rightly. And we will never be wise until we love him closely. And you know what's remarkable? The remarkable thing is that, um, you know, Proverbs was written hundreds of years before Jesus, but after Jesus, you and I have better access to the Lord than Solomon ever had. Just think back to Peter. Peter was afraid. Why was he afraid? He wasn't afraid because he was talking to a rabbi. He talked to rabbis all his life. He was afraid because he began to realize that he was speaking to the one whom rabbis had been describing all his life. Later on, he eventually figured out that that Jesus, this one he was talking to, was, was the one that Proverbs had already taught him to fear. The reason that's important is because it means if you want to know the fear of the Lord, and if you want to be wise, then keep your eyes focused very particularly on Jesus Christ, because he is the Lord made knowable. He is the Lord uh, that when you see him clearly, you will fear him rightly. And he's the Lord who deserves our allegiance and our affectionate reverence. And in particular, look at him on the cross. Because when you see Jesus on the cross, that's where you see God's perfect wisdom set on display. That's where you see God's justice taking a disordered world and setting it back right. And that's when you see God's love joined with his justice, pouring out amnesty to the guilty. And from the cross, as you look at Jesus upon the cross, from the cross, Jesus will look down at you and he will speak to you. He will call you by name. And when he calls you by name, it'll frighten you like it frightened Peter. Because all your sin and your foolishness and your guilt and my guilt will be set out. But then, from the cross, Jesus will also speak words of kindness to you. And he will say, do not be afraid. I've taken away your sin. Get up and follow me. And when both of those things are happening at the same time, from that day onward, you will taste and see an affectionate reverence that will motivate you to grow up before you grow old. And that's what we're going to be working on in the next few months. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emanuel Anglican Church. Uh, Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emanuel, and if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emanuelanglicannyc.com give.